When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the fall of 1983, and you're back in the swing of things with school, even though you're still holding on to those summertime vibes. The weather is still great, and the workload hasn't piled up yet, so there's more free time. It's the weekend, and your friend calls and asks you to meet them at the mall. It's been a while since you've been to the record store, and there are a bunch of new releases you have to check out. As you walk in, you're greeted by the endless rows of musical options, but you head right for the new release section. There's a lot to choose from, and even though there seems to be more cassette tapes than ever before, you're still loyal to vinyl albums. And today, you'll be heading home with what will turn out to be some of the best releases of the entire decade. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dressed, consumed, and connected. And today, we travel back to the year 1983 to look at 12 classic albums that, and it's hard to believe, are now 40 years old. is an interesting year for music. It's kind of a year that's in limbo between the sound of the 70s, but slowly getting us into an era of more upbeat pop and things like glam metal. The sound of the 80s is slowly starting to emerge. It's a time when new wave music is still going strong, but it's also one of the defining years for heavy metal. But ultimately, it still gives us a nice mix of bands and individual stars, that will come to define the decade. There are many options out there, but today I want to look at 12 specific ones and the impact they had on music and even pop culture as a whole. We start though with a bonus entry. The first one is an album you may not know, but it would have a big influence on the future of electronic music and even hip hop. And that is the album Clear, or Enter as it was first known by the band Cybotron. Cybotron, and not Cybertron, the home planet of the Transformers, was made up of a few individuals from Detroit. Anyone listening from Australia will also know of a group of the same name from the mid-70s. Using synths and drum machines and influenced by groups like Kraftwerk, the American Cybotron created an electronic sound and help lay the groundwork for techno music. Released in 1983, Enter contained influential songs like Clear, which has been sampled in hip-hop many times, most notably in Lose Control by Missy Elliott. The song Clear has been sampled at least 50 different times, but it was the entire album that paved the way for the new electronic sound that was emerging out of Detroit in the early 80s. A whole new musical genre called techno can trace its roots back to bands like Cybotron, 
Growing up, I was unaware of this album, but listening to it now, it all feels so familiar because of the influence it's had on an entire musical genre and generation of artists. We officially start this list with one of the biggest albums of the decade that featured one of the biggest songs of the decade. It was created by an English new wave band that was quickly finding success in North America. Built off the huge single Karma Chameleon, Colored by Numbers by Culture Club was released in late 1983. Fronted by the captivating Boy George, the album also contains big tracks like It's a Miracle, Church of the Poison Mind, and Miss Me Blind. And this album was a juggernaut. Color by Numbers has sold upwards of 16 million copies. It went triple platinum in the UK, diamond here in Canada, and quadruple platinum in the US. One interesting thing, it never hit number one in the US. If you were around in 1983 and of a certain age, you know that Thriller by Michael Jackson, despite being released in 1982, was still dominating the charts. Color by Numbers has a poppy sound to it, but also incorporates elements of reggae and even gospel. Despite the catchy sound, the album deals with dysfunctional relationships, and at this point, there were already tensions within the band. Going into 1984 and spurred on by Karma Chameleon, a song other members of the band reportedly hated at first, Culture Club was gigantic. They were part of a new British invasion made up of bands that cut their teeth in England on shows like Top of the Pops. Bands like Culture Club easily adopted video presentation and capitalized on the early success of MTV. I have a previous episode all about the history of MTV that I recommend you listen to as I discuss how bands from England like Culture Club knew the importance of video and harnessed the power of music television in North America. Culture Club was so big at this point in the 80s, you may even remember Boy George appearing on an episode of The A-Team. The A-Team is another topic I've covered in a previous episode, so be sure to check that out too. The next album follows in that pop music vein and was released by one of those artists that could be a poster child for the entire 1980s. That album is She's So Unusual, and that artist is Cyndi Lauper. Released in the fall of 1983, She's So Unusual contains one of the biggest songs of the 80s and of all time, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. This album is equal parts poppy, but also a bit of new wave and contains a lot of synth sound to it. Even though Girls Just Want to Have Fun dominated the album, She's So Unusual also contains other big singles like She Bop, All Through the Night, and a staple song at all grade school dances, time after time. Cyndi Lauper's unique style, attitude, and fashion sense, along with an amazing voice, made her the perfect star for the MTV era. Girls Just Want to Have Fun was an era-defining song, and it propelled She's So Unusual well into 1984, as it stayed on the Billboard 200 for nearly 80 weeks. And as successful as this album was, it only reached number four on Billboard. That's how competitive music was in 1983. 
This is also an interesting album because it led to a chance encounter. Before the music video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun was released, Lopper was on an airplane and happened to be seated next to Louis Vincent Albano. If you were a wrestling fan in the 80s, you know him better as manager Captain Lou Albano. The two struck up an instant friendship, and when it came time to shoot the video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun, they needed someone to play Lopper's father. Why not Captain Lou? This created an interesting dynamic between Lopper, MTV, and the then World Wrestling Federation. All three of these things were emerging at the same time, so why not use one another to propel each other up? The relationship between Lopper, Albano, and the then WWF led to what was dubbed the Rock and Wrestling Connection, which included collaborations between Hulk Hogan, Lopper, Captain Lou, Wendy Richter, the fabulous Moolah, and Rowdy Roddy Piper. MTV began airing live wrestling specials that became some of their most watched shows ever. The war to settle the score and the brawl to end it all were two of those events that used the real-life storylines to play it on TV, with Cyndi Lauper being a natural performer alongside the pro wrestling superstars. All of this led to the rapid growth of professional wrestling, culminating in the first WrestleMania, which Lauper was a part of, and that took the company to an entirely new level. The heights professional wrestling has now reached may have never happened if it wasn't for this album, that song, and a chance encounter on an airplane. Next, we take a detour from pop music to an album that is good old rock and roll, and that is Sports by Huey Lewis and the News. Sports is when Huey Lewis incorporated great hooks into their songs, making them perfect for the radio and for arenas to sing along to. This is an album that includes big hits like The Heart of Rock and Roll, I Want a New Drug, If This Is It, and Honky Tonk Blues. If you were a Huey Lewis aficionado, you may remember them having a bit of a new wave sound in their early days. With sports, they found a true upbeat rock and roll sound. It's catchy, it's fun, and a lot of people liked it. Released in the fall of 1983, sports hit its peak in 1984 and according to Billboard, stayed on the charts for an incredible 160 weeks. It's one of those albums that feels like it could be released in multiple decades and still fit right in. In a few years, Huey Lewis and the News would hit even loftier heights thanks to a little time travel movie that featured the song, The Power of Love. As Huey Lewis and the News were filling up arenas everywhere, my next entry is the band that is the definition of arena rock, and in 1983, released one of my very favorite albums of all time. Originally from Sheffield in the UK, Def Leppard's Pyromania helped to define 1980s rock. Released in early 83 and produced by super producer Mutt Lang, Pyromania features songs like Photograph, Rock of Ages, and Foolin'. The sound was all about those big guitar riffs and straight-driving rock beats. Def Leppard was interesting. They were a rock band, but it was a bit harder without being straight-up metal. They were kind of a hair metal band, but not too over the top, with less of an emphasis on spandex. 
Def Leppard was extremely radio-friendly, something your parents probably wouldn't like, but could also still sell out arenas. They carved out a unique sound and niche that is instantly identifiable. Pyromania would set the stage for the seminal hysteria from 1987, one of the biggest rock albums of all time. But Pyromania was no slouch. According to Billboard, it went diamond, which is 10 million album sales. For the Billboard Top 200 albums, it got as high as number two and stayed in the charts for over 120 weeks. Hysteria always seems like it's the definitive Def Leppard album, but is Pyromania perhaps actually better? I'll leave that up to you to decide. Next is one of the most unique performers of all time. Someone who knew the importance of reinvention to always keep things fresh. David Robert Jones from the UK would go on to become one of the most influential artists of all time that you know better as David Bowie. Bowie's work goes all the way back to the 1960s, and his album Let's Dance was part of his new romantic pop era. Leading up to Let's Dance, Bowie had multiple eras like the glam rock era, the Berlin era, and Ziggy Stardust, just to name a few. As big as Bowie had already been, Let's Dance may have been the height of his popularity and success. Released in April 1983, Let's Dance, incredibly, was Bowie's 15th studio album. One notable thing about this album is that it was recorded in December 1982 at the Power Station in New York. If you know your music history, you know that this is the same studio that John Lennon had been recording at just two years earlier before his death in December 1980. The murder of John Lennon severely affected Bowie, but Let's Dance was a new start for the timeless artist. There was a new label, a new energy, and an excitement to create a more commercial sound. Led by the single of the same name, Let's Dance also contains songs like Modern Love and Without You. The Let's Dance era featured Bowie with bright white hair and a white suit, and on a new concert tour, his first in five years. When it came to Billboard, the Let's Dance single reached number one and stayed on the charts for 20 weeks while the album itself reached number four overall at its peak, and it stayed in the charts for 70 weeks. Bowie would continue to reinvent himself and release many more albums and iconic singles. Let's Dance is just another one of those albums that is part of the catalog of one of the most remarkable performers in music history. Coming up next, the album and the band that, despite appealing to a specific genre, still managed to become a commercial success, even though it scared a lot of people in the process. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Next up, we move into the complete opposite sound of David Bowie and Let's Dance. And it's by the band that in the early 80s scared the absolute crap out of me. Iron Maiden. Released in May of 1983, Peace of Mind kicks off with an all-time epic opener, the six-minute Where Eagles Dare. This is the album that also contains the songs Flight of Icarus and The Trooper. And it's a unique album in that it was a critical and commercial success. For a musical genre that wasn't necessarily accessible to all people, this was a remarkable triumph. Peace of Mind went platinum in the UK, Canada, and the US. Its success is remarkable considering you weren't exactly going to hear the trooper on American Top 40 that much. It didn't exactly fit well on the radio sandwiched between songs like Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Let's Dance. But the album's success is a testament to the power of Iron Maiden and heavy metal in 1983. Besides how much they scared me back then, the success of Iron Maiden and Peace of Mind was also becoming a concern for many parents and watch groups. There was the concern of a satanic influence behind this heavy metal. The imagery and album art of Iron Maiden made many point the finger at the band. Tired of being accused of being devil worshippers, Iron Maiden included something interesting at the start of the sixth track of this album. It was a hidden message that needed to be played backward in order to understand it. The message basically told people not to chime in on things they don't understand. At this point in the 80s, we've entered into the era of satanic panic, and I have a previous episode about Dungeons and Dragons that looks back on all of this. Eventually, I got over my fear, and Peace of Mind is now my favorite Iron Maiden album. And it's one that I always listen to every summer. It's melodic, the arrangements are so precise, and it was the band firing on all cylinders. It just makes you want to peel out of a 7-Eleven parking lot in a beat-up Camaro, kicking up dust as you race off. And we may as well keep this heavy metal train rolling along. Next is another huge release from 1983, Kill Em All by Metallica. Metallica formed back in 1981, and they brought an incredibly aggressive form of heavy metal to the world. Consider it the counterculture to the spandex, hair, and glam metal bands that had also burst on the scene. This music, though, was no joke. Whether you want to call it thrash metal or power metal, this is a musical genre that took incredible precision and arrangement to perform. This was all showcased in their 1983 album, Kill Em All, Metallica's debut studio album. The album kicks off with the song Hit The Lights, where we hear frontman James Hetfield's intense and throat-destroying vocals. In the first few seconds, Kill Em All showed the world what heavy metal could truly be. Kill Em All may not have the mainstream singles that everyone is familiar with, but it sets the stage 
for their genre-defining albums like Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and the Black Album. But there are still many standout songs, including Whiplash, Jump the Fire, and The Four Horsemen. Hardcore musicians everywhere heard what was possible with Kill 'Em All, and it quickly became an incredibly influential album. Even though it's now 40 years old, Kill 'Em All is like a sonic punch to the face. If you listen to this album again, be prepared to want to run through a wall. I've seen a lot of concerts, but seeing Metallica live years ago was an all-time life highlight. Next is an album and artist that couldn't be any different to the previous two. An artist that not only had a huge impact on me personally, but changed the world of music forever. He was creative without technically creating anything new. He just changed the words. And this, of course, is Alfred Yankovic, better known as Weird Al. Again, it's hard to think that his debut album is now 40 years old. But when it was released in 1983, the self-titled album ushered in a new era of song parody, with Weird Al going on to become a star in his own right. And during the 80s, he was arguably just as big as the artists he parodied. The debut album started with singles like Another One Rides the Bus, a parody of Queen's Another One Bites the Dust, and I Love Rocky Road, a parody of I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. And just like Cyndi Lauper, Culture Club, and the WWF, Weird Al came along at the perfect time, also quickly finding a place on MTV. Without MTV, it's hard to think of Weird Al finding a large audience and mainstream success. He probably would have been limited to indie or college radio stations. But when he released the music video for Ricky, his I Love Lucy take on the song Mickey by Tony Basil, Yankovic quickly became a star. By 1983, Weird Al had already been around for a few years, but it was this album and the accompanying video that brought him mainstream success that would eventually make him one of the biggest stars of the 80s. His unique music would become as beloved as the very songs he parodied, and his success continues right up to this day. If I say the name Paul David Hewson, you may not know who I'm talking about, but he fronted an Irish rock band that you definitely know. In 1983, Paul David Hewson, better known as Bono and U2, released War. When it came out in 1983, U2 was really making some big waves in the music world. The lead single off the album was New Year's Day, but Sunday Bloody Sunday was one of the album's and the band's very best singles. Other songs off War include Two Hearts Beat As One and, now appropriately based on the age of the album, the single 40. In the UK, this album was huge and actually knocked Thriller off the top of the charts there. In the US, the album reached as high as number 12 and sold over 11 million copies. If Def Leppard was a bit of rock, a bit of metal, and a bit of glam rock hair metal, Motley Crue took the glam hair rock genre to a new level. Shout at the Devil may not be an all-time classic album, but it helped usher in a very specific, popular, and lucrative genre of music in the 80s. 
Whereas Metallica, Iron Maiden, and Slayer may have been too intense for a mainstream audience, bands like Motley Crue were a less threatening alternative. They were radio-friendly, and even more importantly, MTV-friendly. Motley Crue was party music that came out of the 1980s Hollywood Los Angeles sunset strip scene. It was all about big guitars, big drums, and even bigger hair. Like it or not, hair metal was about to become a major force in 1980s music. And the album, Shout at the Devil, was one of those harbingers of hairspray. Released in the fall of 83, this album contains moderate hits like Looks That Kill, Helter Skelter, and Too Young to Fall in Love. But this album was about establishing Motley Crue. It was only their second studio album and was an immediate hit, setting in motion a musical era that, no matter how we felt about it, couldn't be ignored. I was never a major Motley Crue fan, but I saw them live years ago, and it was the best night of my life. So far on this list, we've had some big debut albums. And now we have the debut album for one of the most popular artists in the history of music, Madonna. The self-titled album was released in the summer of 1983, launching the artist that may best represent the entire 1980s. The debut album came out strong with a real funky, upbeat pop sound and some pretty big singles. Some of those songs include Lucky Star, Borderline, Burning Up, and what has to be the standout song of the album, Holiday. Madonna's debut album was an instant hit and a sign of things to come. Madonna is yet another artist that capitalized on the popularity of MTV and music videos and probably used the platform and channel better than any other artist. The self-titled album reached the top 10 on Billboard, peaking at number 8. And the single Holiday was Madonna's first Hot 100 song, reaching number 16. An impressive debut by a newer artist that had only been signed the year before. The album, of course, went on to sell millions of copies and was certified five times platinum in the United States. And we finish with one of the best albums of 1983 and the entire 1980s, Synchronicity by The Police. Also released in the summer of 1983, the band's fifth studio album was a real blend of musical styles. It featured some unique drum patterns by drummer Stuart Copeland some reggae, and even Middle Eastern sounds. The Police are a unique band in that they've incorporated several different musical styles into their sound over the years, including some punk and new wave. Their musical palette was so vast and refined that Synchronicity was an album that really couldn't miss. With singles like Walking in Your Footsteps, King of Pain, and Wrapped Around Your Finger, the album gave you a bit of everything. Then, of course, is one of the biggest songs of all time with Every Breath You Take. A song today that is part of Spotify's Billions Club for singles that have over a billion streams. Despite the success of the album, it was created during a tumultuous time for the band. At this point in the 80s, they really didn't like each other, but still managed to put out one of the biggest albums of the year. 
Every Breath You Take was number one on Billboard for eight weeks. And Synchronicity itself was the number one album for an incredible 17 weeks. If it wasn't for Michael Jackson and Thriller, Synchronicity probably would have been the number one album for 1983. It's been a long time since I've listened to Synchronicity, but it's another timeless album that sounds like it could have been released in multiple different decades. So that's 1983, a truly remarkable year for music. And there were many not even included here, with honorable mentions to albums like Power, Corruption, and Lies by New Order, The Hurting by Tears for Fears, Speaking in Tongues by Talking Heads, Murmur by R.E.M., Cuts Like a Knife by Brian Adams, Candy Girl by New Edition, Europe, She Works Hard for the Money by Donna Summer, and there were releases by Elton John, Elvis Costello, Pink Floyd, Rick James, Dolly Parton, ACDC, Cheap Trick, Depeche Mode. It just keeps going on and on. When you look back on the influential artists and albums that were released in 1983, it almost feels like the decade already peaked. From the influential work of David Bowie and the Police to iconic metal from Metallica and Iron Maiden, the rock of Def Leppard and Motley Crue, and the huge pop movement happening with Cyndi Lauper and Madonna, it's hard to think of a better year. Many of these artists were at the absolute peak of their game back in 83. I've gone back to listen to all of these albums again, and it just reminds me of what a unique time in music it really was. After the re-listens, to me, my favorites from this list are Kill Em All by Metallica, Synchronicity, and honestly, Color by Numbers by Culture Club. We didn't know it at the time, but in 83, we were in the midst of absolute classic albums in every sense of the word. Albums that are now somehow 40 years old. And on that bombshell, it's time to end. Thank you so much for listening. I gave you some suggestions for further listening, so be sure to check out my previous episodes about the history of MTV, the story of the first WrestleMania, the story of the A-Team, and the era of Dungeons and Dragons. But there are a ton of other great topics to keep you going. And be sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on new releases. If you're in a position to help support the show, you can consider becoming a part of Patreon.com. That's the platform to get access to bonus audio content, including things like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. If you want to learn more, you can head on over to Patreon.com slash 80s. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash 80S, or click on the link in the description. So that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.